read through this. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground on that very day. Their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we thank you. We thank all that you have done, but we thank you for who you are. And as we come to your word, we ask that you will speak to us by your word, through your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we do so, we might grow deeper in our knowledge of you but also grow deeper in our relationship with you. And we pray that as that happens, that we might show the world, that we might show one another our reason to praise you. And so we ask that you would do that now, that you would speak to us, and that indeed it would not be the words of mortal, mortal men but they would be the words of God. And so we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to take more of a personal approach to this psalm. Uh, As I've reflected on the year, as I've reflected on uh, this year as a church, uh, there's one thing that has really uh, struck me. Um, something that is so simple uh, for us as Christians, or fundamental rather, and yet something we struggle with on a daily basis, and that is faith. As we wake up in the morning, as we go about our day, as we go through our week, we wrestle with faith. And and this morning is, I suppose... uh, Something for me to you on a personal level. Uh, What is it for us to have faith? What does it look like for us to have faith? Maybe for some of us, what is faith? What does that look like? And so this morning is probably more of a personal reflection than a sermon of sorts. Uh, But I want this psalm to, to bring that to life for us. So, so let's just go through this psalm. Uh, psalms, as, as you know, if you've been with us, they're songs. They're, they're, they're songs that are, that are meant to be sung. And this is no different. And it opens. Uh, Praise the Lord. And so many of the songs that we sing, are in, that, that's what they are. They are praise to God. But why? Why do we praise? Why do we sing? Next year we're gonna we're actually gonna spend some time asking that question. We're gonna do a series and we're gonna ask that question. Why do we sing? Why do these psalms over and over again say praise the Lord? If you look at that psalm, uh, verses six to seven. Uh, give us many reasons. Hear this God, praise the Lord, 
who is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. But more so, he is the one who is faithful forever. And it goes on, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts down, lifts up those who are bowed down, those who are humble, those who are weak, those who struggle, those who are weighed down by life's burdens. He loves the righteous, those who pursue, who seek to do what is good, to do what is right. He watches over the alien or the foreigner or the forgotten. He sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. He reigns forever. Why do we sing? Why do we praise? Because here is a God who is worth our praise. So we praise Him. But that praise results in something in us. I've said it results in faith. But what does that faith look like? Look at verses 3 to 5. It results in trust. What is the psalm? What's this song teaching us? Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And and when we praise, when we praise this God, when we know this God, it gives us confidence, it gives us trust, it gives us faith. Faith simply is trust in God. We, we, we say that, we, we talk about that, but I wonder if we know that. That faith is simply to trust God. And not just any God, but this kind of God that we read here in this, in this psalm. But on the other end, we're also shown what faith is not. Faith is not trusting in princes or mortal men. Or ourselves. We're mortal. We're we're human. We're limited in our ability. Faith is not trusting in those kinds of things. But that's what we do, isn't it? I don't know about you, but every morning you wake up and you decide how you're going to live your day. Intentionally or unintentionally. Intentionally, you have a choice between going about your day with your plans and your purposes and doing that in your own ability, strength, knowledge and wisdom. Or deliberately choosing to put your faith, put your trust in God that your day, that your plans and the purposes of your day are held in His hands and that you may not have control over them. But more often the struggle and the struggle of faith is that we often don't think about it. I don't know about you, but most of my days are unintentional, not intentional. They're unintentionally progressed in my own strength, in my own knowledge, in my own wisdom, in my own ability to achieve and accomplish things. That's not faith. And that is the wrestle of faith. To trust God. Not to trust in the world, in mortal things, in human things, material things. But to trust God. And when we do that, we're reminded, blessed is He, blessed are we, whose help is the God of Jacob. That's the wrestle, that's the struggle of faith, isn't it? To trust God. And, And it's so hard to do in the busyness of everything that's going on. But that's kind of 
where we need it even more. Because we find ourselves in this maelstrom, in this storm, in this vortex of life. And we get so caught up in that, that we're not able to stop. There needs to be an intentionality. There needs to be a deliberate act of surrender and trust. That's, that's faith. Faith is not passive or inactive. It's something that we need to be proactive and deliberate about. Faith is not some mysterious spiritual force. It's deliberate. But our faith is also challenging because of the nature of faith. We're, we're told in Hebrews what faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1. You've probably heard this many times. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's faith. There is an assurance, there is a certainty of what we hope for. That's hard. Because as human beings, as people, we we want things to be concrete. We want things to be tangible. But that's not faith. Faith is being sure or being assured of what we hope for. And what is it that we hope for? Well, if we stay in this psalm, it's hoping that this God that we put our hope in holds true. That everything that he says, everything that he is and everything that he does is true. To be sure of that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with that. Is this God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord, is he faithful forever? That's hard. Because as you go about, you might know that in your mind, you might say that in your heart, but when you get up and you go into your day and you come up against a situation or a circumstance, or you have three kids, Is God faithful? Can I be sure, can I be assured that in this life, in this situation, in this circumstance, that He is good? That's faith. To be sure that no matter what you come against in life, no matter what your circumstances look like, Whatever this week will look like for you, to be sure, to be assured, to have confidence that God is good. That's what faith is. And that's what we strive for. That's what we wrestle with each and every day. But Hebrews also says, it's also being certain of what we do not see. And again, that's hard. Because... Seeing is believing. That's what we say, isn't it? To see is to believe. To see people change. Well, people say they're going to change. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do... New Year's resolutions are coming up. And you can say it all you like. This is what I'm going to be next year. This is what I'm going to do next year. But until it happens, people around you aren't going to believe it, are they? Because year after year, we say the same thing over and over again. I'm going to save money up for this. I'm going to go to the gym and be healthy. And it just kind of gets old. And people are like, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. But faith is different from that. Because faith is being certain of what we do not see. And again, the same remains true. Because as we read through scriptures and as we read through this psalm, one of the biggest things that we do not see is God in control. 
Right here we're reminded again, he is the maker of heaven and earth. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are humbled. He he loves the righteous. He watches over the alien, the foreigner. He sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. And yet when you walk out into the world, you go, I don't see it. I don't see it. I see corruption running rife. I see people... Cheating others. I see people taking advantage of other people. I see people being oppressed. I see people going hungry. I see people wrestling with illness and cancer. I see people being trodden down. I don't see it. And yet here is God and He says these things. And somehow in faith, we are to be certain that here God is in control. God is sovereign. And in faith, we are meant to be certain of that. One of the interesting things that you read as you go through Scripture is, we see this in verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. And particularly in the Old Testament, uh, but you see it in the New Testament as well. We see this used over and over again, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. We see this repeated, and Hebrews 11 is a great example. Because verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients, the ancestors, were commended for. And then it just lists out these these names of ancient people and their faith in God. And often it is a faith that they don't see, they don't ever experience the promises of God. And yet they put their faith, they put their trust in God. There's this tension that we have as we go through life, as we go through this week, that somehow the promises of God, even though we can't get a hold of them, even though we can't see them, we can have assurance, we can have confidence, we can be certain that they are true and that God is good. Somehow we do that. And that's not easy. That, that, as I've said, that is the daily struggle. It's not something that will happen down the track. It's, it's the struggle when we wake up each day as we deal with every situation to say to ourselves, to remind ourselves, God is good. God is sovereign. God is in control. That's, that's hard. As you go into next year, things will change. Your workplace might change. You might not have a job. You might be graduating and you have no idea what you're doing. You've got a new kid coming along and you have no idea what that's going to look like. Or you're retiring and you have no idea what life will look like. Things will change and yet in the midst of that, our struggle of faith is to know that God is good, that He is trustworthy, that He is faithful and that He is in control, that He is sovereign. And as we struggle with that, the struggle is again that we often don't place our trust in God but in human people or ourselves. That's the struggle. And you know what? That's not a new struggle. It's the struggle of the Garden of Eden. What was the temptation? The temptation wasn't the fruit. Get, get that right. 
The temptation, the, the problem with the Garden of Eden wasn't the fruit. It was human nature. The temptation, if you remember, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and he says to them, you can be like God. And that's our daily struggle. Our daily struggle, the moment we wake up as we deal with every situation is, you can be like God. You can be in control. You can know the answer. You can have everything in your hand. That, that's the struggle. And the response to that is to trust God and recognize that we don't have everything in control. That we don't know everything. And we can't fix everything. That, that's the struggle of faith and the Christian life. As you read through verses 5, as you read through that, there's, we're reminded over and over again, here is God. He made heaven and earth. He remains faithful forever. He upholds. He gives. He sets free. He gives sight. He lifts up. He loves. He watches over. He sustains. He frustrates. And over and over again through Scripture we're reminded God does these things. Not us. In His mercy, in His grace, somehow we get to be a part of that and we'll get into that in a moment. But more than anything else, God does these things. God is the one who acts. He is the one who knows all things. He is the one who is all wise. He is the one who is able. And we are not. And we don't like that. I don't know if you've really sat down and thought about this, but we don't like that. We don't like depending on someone else, let alone depending on God. We don't like depending on others. We don't like asking for help. I was talking with a lady at a cafe this week, um, and she was into New Age kind of spirituality. And why do they call it new age because really it's not new it's the same thing that has always been the temptation is you can be like God it's just repackaged differently because as I spoke to this lady she's like Jesus is great he was a great teacher and he showed us how we can discover our inner God. We are God. This is what she was saying. But it doesn't matter what philosophy or what kind of spirituality you pursue, anything that depends on yourself is essentially the same as the Garden of Eden. You can be like God. That, that's, that's what all of those things are about. As you, as you break down, as you dig into them, it's I can be like God so I can know everything, I can control everything, I can have control over my destiny, I can have control over my finances, I can have control over my life career, I can have control over my family and what my family is going to look like, I can have control... When you dig into these things, that's what they're all about. That I can be like God. I can create. I can make. I can know. I can do these things. But here, here we come to the Scriptures and the Scriptures say no. And, and we're reminded again in the Psalm, no, God does these things. God is the creator. God upholds those who are oppressed. He sets them free. He, he does all these things that we can't do. 
Yes, we might be able to go into a prison and we might be able to change a person's life, physically and materially. But we can't change who they are. No human being has the ability to change the heart of a person. No, that's God's domain. We can come around the fatherless and the widow. We can be a community that loves people. But see, this is the thing about love. It needs to be received. You can surround a person with love, but if they don't receive it, it's meaningless. And so even we, though we can do all these things, unless God changes the heart of a person, even though they're fatherless or they're a widow or they've lost loved ones, they're not going to be impacted by the love that we show. Right? At the end of the day, only God can change the heart. Only God can change our heart. And yet every morning we're, we, we deal with this struggle of you can be like God. That's the struggle. But see, the gospel offers us a different solution. And we've, we've touched on it here. Trusting in God is not a passive thing. Trusting in God is not Something that is mysterious. Trusting in God is recognizing that we cannot. But God can. And as we go into Christmas, we're reminded of one of the most significant things that God has ever done. God became a man. talking to this woman and when you talk to any any kind of new age or people kind of pursuing alternative spiritualities, one of the things that you will often find is a rejection of humanity. A rejection of our human dignity. Somehow this humanity stops us from achieving our perfection, our godhood. Uh, Buddhism is the same. It's to achieve nirvana, in order to achieve enlightenment, we need to reject this humanity, this, this flesh. But in Christmas, we're told that God rejects His divinity and becomes a man. He takes on flesh. And that should never, we should never forget the significance of that. Because this flesh to God is precious. This flesh that we've been given was crafted by God with His hands. And His breath of life was given to us in our flesh. And Jesus coming to earth leaves behind His divinity and comes in the form of a human baby, a fleshly child. We may not get the significance of this because we hear it all the time. But it means that the person that you are in the flesh is precious to God. The body that you have been given is not a mistake to be changed and rejected in order to find something else. As you are, as God has made you, from the moment you were conceived to the moment you go to the grave, your flesh is precious. And that flesh, even the moment that it goes to the grave, when you have placed your trust in Jesus, will be resurrected and you will be given a new body. And that is not some spiritual, ethereal thing. It will be fleshly. There will be flesh and bones in your new body. You're not going to be some super spiritual being without a body. That's not how the Bible talks about it. You will be given a new body. When Jesus rose from the dead, He had a fleshly body. They could touch Him. That was the significance of His resurrection. That they could touch Him and see His wounds. You will not be unrecognizable in heaven in a new body. You will be known 
and recognized, not only by God, but by others. And in Christmas, we're reminded that Jesus leaves behind his divinity, his Godhood, and he becomes a man. And that is a precious truth. Because as we go through our day, we might not remember that. Let's be honest, we don't always remember these grey and big truths. But to know that this life that we live is not worthless and meaningless. That as you wrestle and as you struggle through this week, and as you rejoice, as you celebrate, as you gather with friends and you experience the happiness and the blessing of having people in life. They are all meaningful because they are in the flesh. Do you understand that? That to be able to get together in the flesh, see people face to face. This is why social media sucks, by the way. Because there is something special about gathering together as people face to face, flesh to flesh, being able to hold hands, being able to hear one another, being able to see one another. Your children might do this. To, they, my children lick me. You, we are given senses. We are given this body to experience life and it is not meaningless. And faith is not void from the flesh. This trust that we have in God, this flesh, this faith, sorry, is not some spiritual thing that is separate from the life that we live. It's at the very heart of it. To know that in our flesh that we can experience the joy of life and live this life. Because I think it's so easy to think that this life is meaningless and all we're waiting for is Jesus to come again and to, to experience heaven. And, and that is what we hope for. That is what we look forward to. But see, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because the danger is that we think, I've put my trust in Jesus, I will get a new life in heaven. I will get a new body, life will be perfect, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more pain, no more suffering. That's the good life. And yes, it will be. But if that's all we focus our attention on, then this life no longer has meaning. We, we lose purpose for this life. But Christmas, remember, is God, Jesus, becoming a man. And the significance of that is that this life is worth living. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there are times when we just wish that God would take us to heaven. I certainly know that feeling. Sometimes life just sucks. But in the midst of that, there is a joy available to us because here God has become a man. And he says, this life is worth living. I walk this life. I walk this earth. Not just so I could go to the cross. We, we, we talk about the cross, we talk about his death and resurrection, but he lived to show that this life is worth living. That in the midst of this life, the 70, 80 years that you might live, 120 if you're lucky, or not lucky, depending on how you look at it, this life that you get to live is not meaningless, it's not empty. That's what the world says. And let me just throw a tangent in there. Because of this aversion to fleshly things, to this human nature, people have no problems with abortion and euthanasia. Uh, if humanity is worth living, if there is dignity in our flesh, then life from the moment is conceived to the moment it goes to the grave is worth living. 
Each person is worth something. And here is the God who not only creates, but He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are humbled, who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the alien, the forgotten. He sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. And He does that in this life that we live. In the flesh of life, God does those things. Because those things will no longer exist in heaven. There will be no need for God to do that once heaven is here. And that's Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the gospel is about. That God made man in flesh. And for all its brokenness, for all its flaws, Jesus takes on humanity and flesh so that we might know that this life is worth living. Because as I, as I think back through this year, as I think through the struggles that some of you have had, as I think about what next year holds for some of you, I want us to know, and I need to be reminded, that this life is worth living. That this life has purpose. I told you the other week that I met a kid who just had no ambitions, no nothing that he was pursuing because the fear of disappointment and failure was so great. That's not the life that God offers. It's not why Jesus came. Yes, Jesus comes to save us from these things and to offer us this new hope of a better future. But He also offers us life for today. And faith, faith is a part of every moment that you breathe. Because every moment you take in that breath, That is the life of God. And to have faith is to have confidence that that breath that you breathe will give you assurance and confidence that this life is worth living, not just for tomorrow and the heaven that awaits us, but today is worth living because that breath still causes through your lungs And it's also an assurance that everything that you don't see, the injustice and the the brokenness of our world, all the things that we don't see, God has in His hands and He is in control. So what is faith? Faith is to know God and to know that He is faithful. And the result of that is confidence and assurance. That's why we we get together every week. That's why we sing. This psalm opens and closes with the words, Praise the Lord. And it's not meant to be something that comes out of a heart that is ready to praise God, that recognizes who God is, we sing because we need to be reminded. We sing to stir our hearts, to stir our spirits. Praise the Lord, O my soul, because He is God. And faith is this constant and continuous exercise of praise the Lord. Because He is good. Because He is faithful. Because He is trustworthy. And because of that, we can have confidence and assurance in what we hope for and what we do not see. So how does that change each day? 
when circumstances come, we need to learn to respond in faith. How do we do that? Well, for different people, it will look different. One of the easiest ways for some people is music, song, singing. To hear or to sing the goodness, the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God and everything that He has done. This is what this psalm is. It's a song to stir faith. Praise God. Don't trust people. Trust God. Because He is the Creator. He does all these things. And so we sing. We remind ourselves of who God is. And it stirs faith. For some, it's, it's reading or reflection or meditation on the words of God. Or maybe it's fellowship. Gathering together with others and hearing God at work. Or hearing the praise of others. Praising God because of who He is or what He has done. It, it's another reason that we gather together. If you're ever stuck send someone a message call someone knock on someone's door because together we can praise together we can be reminded and stir up faith that's what this psalm is all about I don't know how many of you are comfortable singing on your own just You might be a closet singer in the shower. But fill your heart, fill your mind with songs that lift faith, that point you back to who God is and what He has done. Here's a a challenge for you. Memorize Scripture. Not for the sake of being spiritual. That's not the point. Memorize Scripture so it stirs your faith. Stirs your heart to remember who God is. This would be a great psalm to memorize. It stirs, it reminds us of who God is and what He has done. But the other thing that stirs faith is to actually join God in all that He does. Here is the God who creates. Here is the God who upholds the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, who sets the prisoners free, who gives sight to the blind, who lifts up those who are bowed down, who are weighed down by life, who are humble. The Lord loves the righteous, watches over the alien, the foreigner, the forgotten, sustains the fatherless and the widow, prostrates the ways of the wicked. Yes, these are things that God does, but we also get to play a part in that. As you read through Scripture, God invites us to be part of what He is doing in this world. And that's the other part of life. And something I think a lot of us miss. Yes, God has given us this life and in Jesus becoming a man, He gives us purpose and meaning to this flesh, this body that we have. The fullness of that purpose is only found when we get in touch and partner with what God is doing. It's one thing to have a relationship with God, to know Jesus and to to grow in your faith. But if you're not involved and partnering with what God is doing, then you're missing out. You're missing out on faith. Because see, the thing is that God does these things. We can't do these things. But He invites us to be part of that. He invites us to uphold the cause of the oppressed, to give food to the hungry, to set prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to lift up those who are humble, to love the righteous, to watch over the alien and the forgotten, to sustain the fatherless and the widow, 
and even to frustrate the ways of the wicked. Let me, let me just paint some examples here. God upholds the cause of the oppressed. We are invited to join God in doing that. When people are oppressed, even in the most subtle of ways, when people are being verbally abused out on the street, we can step in. There are people who are hungry. We can be those who give food. He sets prisoners free. There's great prison ministries that exist. The Lord gives sight to the blind. Now this is for probably half the room. If you're involved in any sort of medical or health profession, you get to be a part of what God is doing in human life. That's precious. That's precious. To be partnering with God into making a difference in the fleshly bodies of other people. That is a godly work. Do you understand that? In making the physical life of a person better, you are actually doing the work of God. It's not just some scientific, humanistic pursuit. No, it is the work of God. We don't do it for the sake of humanity. We do it because God does it. He lifts up those who are bowed down, who are weighed down with life, who are humbled by life. We, we can come alongside people and carry their burden. The Lord loves the righteous. We can do that each week when we come. But we can also do that as we go through our week. When colleagues are doing things with integrity, when they're doing things that are right, that are good, to encourage them. Something so simple. To recognize what is good and what is right. The Lord watches over the alien, the forgotten, the foreigner. There's the big stuff. There's the asylum seekers and refugees. But there's also people on the fringes of life that are forgotten, who are essentially aliens. That is the work of God to be watching over them, to be involved in their lives. He sustains the fatherless and the wicked. Uh, the win widow, not the wicked, sorry. God sustains the fatherless and the widow. To be able to come around people in community who lack family, particularly at Christmas. That is God's work. And to frustrate the ways of the wicked. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. But we are not passive people. The people of God are not passive. We may not go out onto the streets waving banners and protesting. But we can play a part in frustrating things that are wicked. With integrity. But we can do that. Because that's God's work. And faith is not simply a personal thing. This is, that's, that's only one part of it. It's only part of the parcel. To have faith in Jesus, to have confidence in all that He promises, to have assurance of what we do not see, is only part of the parcel of faith. The product of that faith is to do God's work. To partner with God in what He does. And that's where faith comes to life. Because when you get involved in God's work, when you step into that, it forces you to trust God. Because if you think seriously about these things, if you think seriously about what God is doing in the world, you can't do it on your own. You're not able to get into the hearts of people and change them. Because that's, that's God's work. To step into that 
realm of doing God's work requires faith and trust that God is good and that what He is doing is good and that He will accomplish it. That's faith. And so as we go into Christmas, as we go to a new year, it is both an encouragement and a challenge. Have faith that this God is good, that He is trustworthy, that whatever circumstances and situations you face tomorrow, in this week, in the new year, God is there with you. And that He is good and that He is trustworthy. And that He is faithful. For blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And remember those things. Whether that's through song, whether that's through the Word of God, whether that's through fellowship with other people. Remember who God is. Remember what He does. Remember what He has done in Jesus. But also, get involved in what God is doing. Think through the way that you spend your time. The way that you use the resources that God has given you. Not just money, but your knowledge, your wisdom, your abilities. All that God has given you. All the resources that He has given you. How can you use them to do God's work? And that's the challenge. Alright, as, as we go from this year into the next, I challenge you to take a step of faith. To trust that God is good. But also to do good because He is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are trustworthy, and that you are faithful. But we're, we're, we're forgetful people, and we need reminding. And so we ask that by your Spirit you might remind us, stir our faith, give us faith. Do that by your spirit, through your word, through song, through our brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, our family of faith. Stir up our faith. But then open our eyes to see how we can partner with you in what you are doing, that we might exercise that faith and put it to good work. God, I thank you for each person here. And I ask that you continue to work in them. That they might know. And they might grow. And they might show their faith in you. So I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.